Welcome to the Your Courageous Life podcast, where we discuss psychology and tools to help you create better habits, cultivate discipline, and live with courage, aka grit and emotional resilience. I'm your host, Kate Swoboda. Learn more about my books and get additional resources at yourcourageouslife.com. And now, here's today's episode. Hello, hello, everybody. It's Kate. After basically two years, here I am and I'm back. Although it definitely does not feel the same as it did two years ago, which is a good thing, but also comes with its own very strange complications, such as um, today, when I was going to record this podcast, it took me a minute to remember where the episodes are hosted like where they live on the internet and then get, you know, pushed out to Spotify or Apple Podcasts or any of that. Additionally, I have no clue where my original files are, which is why there's a new intro today. <laughs> With new music, I I don't know where my files are from when I was recording podcasts regularly. So, new intro, fresh start, always fun. I suppose I also should warn you that in the background, it's possible you'll hear snoring. And that's also new. Um, Since I was last doing the podcast regularly, I'm now the proud owner of two dogs. And they are cute as can be. They follow me like little shadows from room to room to room. And one of them is a little seven-pound teacup chihuahua. We, We got her from a rescue, but... She probably came from a breeder. We don't really know. And for such a tiny little creature, she is the loudest snorer I have ever heard when it comes to dogs. It's it's pretty intense. So uh, if you hear some snoring or kind of a low moaning or groaning sound in the background, don't worry. It's just the dog. It's not me. All is well over here. So I thought a lot about how to come to today's podcast episode. What did I want to share? After two years of being away, that's a pretty significant amount of time to be away from work that you did for 10 years prior to that. What do I want to tell about that time, the good, the bad, the ugly, everything in between? And ultimately, I just went, you know, I don't know that that's the most important thing for me to come here and share today. The reason that I wanted to step back in was quite simple. It was tied to this concept that came to me of create what you crave. If I'm craving creative expression, if I'm craving connection, whatever it is that I'm craving, how do I create that? And what I found I was craving so very deeply actually was to go back to some of the work that I had been doing but to do it in a very different way. And so today's podcast will actually be really orienting around what I have learned in the past two years, the lessons I'm integrating. And tied to all that, by the way, if you are listening to this prior to February 2024, I will be bringing a workshop called Create What You Crave. And it will be happening in February 2024 in California, If you're listening to this prior to that time, head on over to my website and I'm sure you'll find all the appropriate details. And if you're listening to this after that time, then 
here are some of the lessons that are the underpinning of what I'm creating in 2024 and my life and beyond. And I decided to make today's podcast episode me going through those lessons because it actually is less important to me to go into in-depth explanations of why I needed to step away, the parts of stepping away that were brutally hard, the parts of stepping away that were the absolute best thing I could have done for myself. Instead of telling that story, I thought I'd share what I've learned. And maybe you'll find that something that I've learned is something that you can take away as well. I think I've gotten like 30 of these. It arose very organically the day that I was writing. I feel like they're all connected and yet they might not go in the perfect order. And my hope is that as you hear each of these, you have some sense of what you want to create in this coming year as well. I love it when somebody shares life lessons, wisdom, whatever they've been learning, etc. And it lands for me as this, oh yeah, I know that. <laughs> or, oh, I never thought about it that way before. I love those moments. So these have been some of mine over the past two years. And I think I got like 30 of them. So here we go. Uh, number one, and this is the one that underlies why I am coming back to cultivating a body of work. I am my very best self when I am learning about, writing about, or teaching about the human experience. And for me, that first one, that was a mic drop. It was just boom, there it is. That's that's the situation for me. I am my best self when I am learning about, writing about, or teaching about the human experience. You, of course, are invited to try writing down the feeder sentence, I am my best self when, and see what follows. Number two, I do not owe the world misery as penance for my mistakes. Number three, I do not have to have everything all figured out. I do not have to be continually educating myself about issues, trying to be better, trying to be Im- improve in some way. I'm going to learn as I learn. I'm going to go as I go. I'm going to do what I do. I'm going to live as I live. I'm going to make mistakes along the way. I do not owe the world a finished product. Number four, I have no interest in arguing with people on the internet. And by the way, um, a learning kind of a thing that I had and something You can check in with you. This is me talking to me. You check in with you. Take what you like. Leave the rest. Uh, There was a time where I actually think that I was getting something out of it. I got to feel right. I got to feel self-righteous. There was this kind of adrenaline with like seeing that somebody had said something problematic or that I disagreed with and crafting the exact right thing to say that wasn't abusive. I was not going in at like personal attacks and trying to be abusive, but that would let them know that they were wrong. And now I realize I have no interest in arguing with people on the internet. I don't get anything from it. They don't get anything from it. They won't change my mind. And I realize I'm not going to change theirs. And I accept this and I live my life. Number five. No one has ever made a movie where the plotline involved someone spending hours every day on social media. Why? Because it's not 
an interesting life. So get off your phone. Again, I wrote this down for me, so don't feel personally attacked here. <laughs> this is not about you. But but for me, it, get off the phone, Kate. Get off the phone. And side note, have you ever noticed how often in movies, the person at dinner who just won't put down their phone is the obnoxious character? Don't be that person. All right, number six, whenever I try to win an argument or prove that I am right, I end up playing life small. Number seven, whatever people think of you online does not matter. I do not at this point even want to engage in a dialogue. I don't want the quote unquote opinions or critique that are really these thinly disguised barbs and jabs and takedowns and all of that. I, I just don't want to play any part in it. I think it's lame to spend online, time online telling people that you don't like them. And I also think we're all going to be dead at some point. And so worrying about what other people think of me is not how I want to spend my time here on earth. Number eight, and I got this one from an interview I heard on the Modern Wisdom podcast. The best form of self-love is to hold myself to a higher standard than anyone else will. I got really excited when I heard this because I love challenges. I love being a high performer and looking at my life and going, what does it take to create that in my life? I love all that. And to me, that quote when I heard it on the podcast, really expressed that. Number nine, I thrive when I am surrounded by integrated, creative, self-aware adults, not children in adult bodies pretending to be adults. And if I start substituting in the children who are pretending to be adults, I just end up feeling lonelier. Number 10, Having some kind of creative purpose that I put effort to towards daily makes hard times bearable and is the surest way I know of to not live a life with regret. Maybe that's a double negative. Maybe the way to say that is the surest way I know to make sure that I live without regrets. Something like that. Number 11, discipline equals freedom. Now, I have been a Jocko Willink fan for a while, and one thing that I learned over the past two years in a big, 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 like all caps, B-I-G kind of way, is that every time, without exception, every time, without exception, that my mental health has suffered in the past two years, forcing myself to be disciplined about the habits that I know I need but may feel resistant to has turned things around in as little as a week. I am not saying that it solved all my problems. I am not saying that it made me happy and ready to throw glitter in the air and just be like, no, I'm not saying any of that. I'm saying that within a week, circumstances, life, feelings, overwhelm, feeling very depressed and bleak and sad, within a week, daylight entered the picture, all because of discipline. Having seen this enough times in my own experience, I now believe that 
discipline is an essential part of the human experience. Number 12, hard work is more gratifying than easy wins. Discipline and dedication make me feel grounded, integrated, and whole. So for as much as I might say, oh, I just want this thing to be easy. I just, why isn't it easier? All of that. Actually, the hard work is really gratifying. And I feel better about the results I get when it's been hard work to get there. When I know that I had to put my mind to something. Number 13, ask for help sooner. Ask until you get it. And if others approach you and are worried that you're not okay, believe them. Number 14, the best way that I can love someone is to try to understand them. And that may not be, that may not mean being in a relationship with them. But for me to feel in integrity with myself, I give all humans an attempt to understand them, an attempt to understand their mental framework, their belief system, the motivations behind their behavior. I make the attempt. Certainly it doesn't consume my life, but I make the attempt. Number 15. Look for the people in life who do not think that your mistakes define all of who you are or all of what you're capable of. Number 16, remember that hurt people hurt people, meaning that people who are hurting will hurt others. So for me, that means that I need to heal my own pain so that I do less harm and I want to empathize with the wounds that others carry. Number 17, look for the people in life who don't require constant disclaimers, who are not easily offended, and who possess, I don't know, just like a corn kernel's worth of common sense. So for instance, when I said just a second ago that hurt people will hurt people, you know there's someone on the internet who's going to go, now, see what that that's something that's a, a phrase that people have been using for years to justify abuse. You're telling women that their abusive partners are wounded, so they should accept the wounding and accept the partner because the partner's hurting. So it's not their fault if they're abusive. And it's just like, hold, hold on. No, I'm not. I'm not saying any of that. Like anybody with an ounce of common sense is not saying that. So again, a new personal rule for myself, guidelines, something I've learned. I personally, in my life, look for the people who do not require constant disclaimers, who are not easily offended, and who possess a corn kernel of common sense and critical thinking. Number 18. This one might seem like it's coming out of nowhere with the things that came before it, but Again, I was just riffing on what I've learned over the past two years, and this came up. Weightlifting makes you feel so freaking strong and powerful, even if you never turn into a muscled-up beast. I really do believe this. I believe a clean and jerk with a barbell is good for the soul. I believe that every hard workout I've ever done, and those of you who have been around a while, one thing that has not changed is my love of CrossFit. 
Um, I really do believe that every hard work workout I've ever done has been life affirming. I know that I will become better because I intentionally went into the face of the challenge. And also it's okay to be sore. 19. This is one that came up really, really recently while I was working with my coach, Matthew Marzell. And he said this to me, and of course he said it far more powerfully than I'm going to say it here, but it was just, it was an incredible moment and it's been something that I've been thinking about ever since. This is my path. Even if it's fucked up, even if it's potholed with mistakes, even if it isn't what so-and-so thinks I should be doing with it, it's my path. Even if I agree with you know, that invisible army that, yeah, you made that mistake. Even if I'm sitting here nodding my head going, yep, I did. It's my path. So claim your path. Number 20, over-explaining has the following repercussions. Making you seem even less knowledgeable. Revealing something you didn't intend to reveal. Overwhelming people who have trouble integrating a lot of information or intimidating them. Saying less is actually more efficient. Number 21, be honest with yourself. That means genuinely giving yourself credit for efforts and success, but being equally as real with yourself about where you cut corners, play the victim, act entitled, people please, judge, criticize, overreact. Be honest with yourself. Number 22, I think. I'm actually losing count at this point, which is perfect for what I'm about to say, which is that perfectionism, (laughs) Uh, speaking of being imperfect, can't remember what number I'm on for absolute certain. Perfectionism, I learned, was driving me to try to be good at all of the things in my business, and that was a form of golden handcuffs when it came to control. I was doing things I didn't like doing, but couldn't release control enough to hire someone else to do them. So then I felt misaligned in my business, and then I wasn't enjoying the work anymore. And that has been a really profound shift in that I am not thinking of what I'm doing any longer as running a business. I'm thinking of it as creating a body of work. No metrics just creating and definitely not picking up the torch to try to handle anything that is outside of my wheelhouse. And we'll see how that goes. Number 23, humans need certain things for optimal functioning. And anytime I cut corners in any of these areas or don't make time for these things, I suffer. And those things are exercise, sleep, healthy food, alone time, creative work, analog time, processing out emotions, appreciation, gratitude, meditation, celebration, connection. Number 24, my feelings are real, but they also tell tall tales, isolating the internal narratives and ruthlessly reframing those that don't serve me is profound mental health care. Number 25, writing fiction feeds my soul. I've gone long periods resisting this, and 
There's a quote that I've heard recently that is based off of Joseph Campbell's quote that the cave you fear to enter holds the treasure you seek. Um, What I've heard or how I've heard it phrased most recently is the thing you resist the most is the doorway to your greatest awakening. And I just, there's something about writing fiction, making space for that, even though I am not a published novelist, and even though it doesn't make me any money, and even though, even though, even though, there's something about actually doing that thing that feeds your soul, especially if it's creative work, Um, even if there's no metric or payoff or any of that, that I think is part of a well-lived life. Number 26, it's a lot smarter for me to spend a half hour crying my heart out than it is to go weeks or even months with sadness trapped inside that leaves me depressed and angry and taking it out on everyone around me. Number 27, the part of me that critiques and complains is a weird attempt to make up for the past. So in the past, when I had no power to voice my fears or my frustrations, um, I it's like I'm trying to make up for lost time by refusing to stay silent today. But honestly, a lot of the time, the complaints and the critiques just left me feeling angry, did not change anything, and in some cases burned some bridges in my relationships with others. And there is an art to knowing when it's valid to critique or voice a complaint. I'm still learning all the nuances of that art, but I definitely would say I've made some progress around not just jumping straight in with the critique or the complaint from a place of, well, I'd better speak into this because I, you know, somebody should, or you know, it's like, where's that voice coming from? Because really, it ain't that heavy. <laughs> Not anymore, anyway. Number 28. The people who will love you or hate you the most are the people who know you see them clearly. This is a really interesting one to unpack. The people who love you or hate you the most are the people who know that you see them clearly. And the people who are okay with being seen, who are okay with you seeing them clearly, they will love you for the fact that you see them so clearly. The people who hate being seen, maybe they're insecure, maybe they know that they're out of integrity, maybe they just watch you handle your life really well and they feel like a mess. They're the people who will say, you're arrogant or who will spread rumors, or who will shit talk, or who will avoid you rather than just have the conversation with you. And it's their version of going on the offense. It's like they're stirring up dislike for you before you might have a chance to get honest with them or about them. Even if you had never had any intention of of picking at them or saying, hey, I see you really clearly and I'm going to point out where you could do this or that better. You have no intention of that. I think it's a subconscious thing. Bottom line, you aren't going to fix it. Um, They have to fix it. And I, at least when I've encountered those situations, I've started to come from that place of what I said earlier the greatest thing or greatest way that I can love someone is to try to understand them. To me, that's what frees us both. If I can understand them, then I can stop taking it personally. 
And I also might get an insight as to how I could engage with them differently. And then 29. And this is the last one I'll talk about today. But there is a young, tender child in all of us who just wants to be held. That's it. That's it. They just want to be held. And I really do think that trying to be too cool for inner child work is a betrayal of that little child within. Being too cool for looking at the parts of you that have arrested development, that are underdeveloped, that don't have the skills, that are terrified and afraid without looking at those pieces, it's a betrayal of the self. All right, so what I did today was I went over these life lessons I've been learning. And I was actually thinking that what I would do for future podcast episodes would be to unpack some of these more. What are all the different nuances that are behind them? Things like that. Also, I would love to hear your questions. I have—I don't think I have ever before taken listener questions and made podcast episodes out of those or anything like that, but I, I'm doing it now. If I haven't done it before, I'm doing it now. All kinds of new things happening around here. So if you have an interest in submitting a question for the podcast, send an email to support at yourcourageouslife.com and in the subject line, put something like podcast question or you know something like that that will highlight your email and I'll see how I can fold those in. All right, that's today's episode of the Your Courageous Life podcast. Thank you for listening. To dive in deeper and continue the work, head on over to yourcourageouslife.com. See you there.